Well, let's start this morning with a few statistics and see if you can guess what is the common denominator between these studies here, Department of Health, Census Bureau, the CDC. Every one of these statistics is the same common denominator. So it's a certain type of home each of these people come from. What type of home do you think it is where 63% of youth suicides are from? 90% of homeless and runaway children are from? 85% of all children with behavior disorders are from? 71% of all high school dropouts? 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers? 85% of all youth in prison come from what type of home? You know, there's a there's a great quote here, and it was shared by an unknown person who said, God grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the one I can, the wisdom to know it's me. Each of us can make a decision to make those changes today in, in who we are, and from that place to then have a positive impact in other people's lives. Let me read Romans chapter 8, verse 7, a few different versions here, but listen to Paul's words and think about the world around us and sometimes even our own lives. Romans 8, 7. The mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so, the Berean. American Standard says the mind of the flesh is at enmity, actively opposed to God. Aramaic version says because the mind of the flesh is hatred toward God, it is not subject to the law of God because it cannot be. Think about the, the clear statement of Paul here. The mind is hostile to God, actively opposed to God, the hatred toward God. The mind here is the mind of the flesh, Paul says, which is the selfish mind, the self-centered mind, the sinful mind, the fallen mind. That is why scripture says over and over, change to change that person we can self starts where? It starts in the mind. It starts in our thinking. And that's where the battlefield is. It's for our mind. That's where the world tries to influence us through the mind. It's where we have to be intentional about what we feed our mind. It has to be intentional about how we then think daily thoughts, 60,000 thoughts a day. So the mind, the fallen mind is hostile, actively opposed and hates the things of God. What do we see so often in the world around us? A mind hostile to God. We're going to look at two people here today, very big players in Scripture, and see one that has that mind of the flesh, and the other who has that renewed mind, and what's the outcome of their lives? You know, I love the story here John Matheson shares. You know, he's a pastor. He showed up at church one Sunday morning, and when he got there, you know, the Saturday night before was a terrible snowstorm. There's ice everywhere in, in the several inches of snow. Roads are terrible. It's freezing. And he doesn't think anybody will be there. When he gets there, there's a, a lady there that has these health problems. And, and he says, I'm surprised to, to see you here today with the weather. And she said herself, she said, you know, if I decided to come to church this morning, I wouldn't have come with the weather and the roads and the cold. But I didn't decide this morning to come to church. I decided months ago that I would be here on Sunday mornings to support this congregation and to care about the people and to serve them. You see, it started in her mind months before. And so it is for us. We have to determine in our minds, you know, when life throws a curveball, 
You don't want to wait to that last moment to decide who you're going to be. You make that decision now. And then whatever comes up down the road from a renewed thinking, you've already made that decision to say, I'm going to follow Christ. As somebody once said, what good is having someone who can walk on water if you don't follow his footsteps? You know, we can read the miracles of Jesus, but it has to become a part of our living in everyday life to say, you know what? I trust him with everything and he's renewed my thinking and I'm no longer hostile to the things of God. Just reading, knowing his story is not enough. He has to become that part of our life, that central part of who we truly are. You know, Charles Swindoll years ago shared, shared this and only Anthony shared it to, you know, it's about a church in a particular country. They don't reveal the country to protect the people there, but you know, a, a true story years ago in a particular communist country where the church had to meet in secret, underground. It was illegal to have worship service. And so this one night the church shared they were meeting in this private location. The, the shades pulled down, the door locked, and, and as they're worshiping, suddenly the doors kicked open by two soldiers. Those two soldiers say, everybody up against the wall, and they said, here's your chance. If you renounce Christ, leave now. And as I said, you know, a few people left, a couple more minutes, some more left, and then another one left. The soldiers looked back at the people lined up on the wall and said, last chance, renounce Christ now and leave. If you stay, you will face the consequence of that decision. And some more people left, and a few more after that. One of the soldiers then shut the door and he blocked it and they turned around and they put their guns down and they said, brothers and sisters, we are believers in Christ too, but before we could make that known, we have to know who else is truly a believer and who we can trust. And we are here to pray with you tonight. You see, there's a mind, a selfish mind that's hostile to the things of God. And then there's a renewed mind that says, listen, my decision is day to day. Who I'm going to follow, who I'm going to honor. So that our light can be that light that shines, that we be that salt. You go back to those studies. What type of home do those children come from? 63% of youth suicides come from a fatherless home. 90% of homeless runaway children are from a fatherless home. 85% of children who show behavior disorders, fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts, fatherless home. 75% in chemical abuse centers, fatherless homes. 85% of youths in prison, fatherless homes. 43% of children in the U.S. live without their father. This is not to say it's a problem for fathers. It's a problem for each of us to say, mother, father, single, married, you have children, you don't have children. There are people out there all around desperate for that living example that says, listen, I don't just read about a man who walked on water. I follow and obey that man. And he changed my life. He changed my thinking. He took me out of sin. He'll do the same for you. Because if we want to see statistics like that change, they have to change by people that say, let me know I can change myself. Let me begin with me 
And let me then influence other people from that place. This is why, you know, in 1964, Paul Harvey shared the following. His most requested piece was simply this. If I were the devil, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. But I would not be happy till I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. So I would take over by any means necessary the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whisper. Like a serpent whispered to Eve, I'd whisper to you, do as you please. To the young, I'd whisper the Bible's a myth. I'd convince the children man created God. Instead of the other way around, I'd confide what's bad is good, what's good is square. I'd educate others how to make lurid literature exciting so everything else would appear dull, uninteresting. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could, sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, nations at war with themselves until each was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd mesmerize them with the media, fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I'd encourage schools to refine young intellect but neglect to discipline. I'd tell teachers, let those students run wild, and before you know it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, judges promoting filth. I'd evict God from the courthouse, the schoolhouse, the House of Congress. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have, give to those who wanted, so I could kill incentive of the ambitious. I'd convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, adultery more fun. And what you see on television is the way to be. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he is already doing. So what stands in the way? 1 Timothy 3.15 says the church of the living God is the support and bulwark of truth. A bulwark is a, a wall of defense. The contemporary English version simply says, after all, the church of the living God is the strong foundation of truth. Church called out people, sold out to Christ with renewed minds that live with integrity and show that promise available to those who are in that darkness. As someone once said, there is nothing like a local church when it is working right. Her beauty indescribable, her power breathtaking, her potential unlimited. Psychologists, they said there are three words that are the hardest words for an individual to say. What do you think are the three hardest words for an individual to say? We'll come back in a moment and see what that is. Let's look at two giants from history. One represents that mind of the flesh. The other, that renewed mind. We'll just look at a couple verses for each. These two men, Pharaoh and Moses. Let's start with Pharaoh, Exodus 5. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? You see, there's two questions 
available when we come face to face with Jesus Christ. And Pharaoh's first response is, who is the Lord? It's not a question of interest. It's a question of sarcasm and arrogance. It's a statement that he says, who is God? I don't listen to anybody. Now look what happens to Moses, Exodus chapter 3. God called from the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. The place you stand is holy ground. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring them out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? The fallen mind says, who is God? When there's a choice before us to do the right thing, the holy thing, the fallen mind, who is God? A renewed mind day to day says, who am I? Moses' question, we're told throughout scripture, he had this humility, his statement, his question, his words, his day-to-day life. It was, who am I that you would call me? Who am I that you would save me? Who am I that you would notice me? You see, it's from that place of surrender and humility from which he could then be used. Dennis Prager shares it well. Moses is an ideal leader because he doesn't really want the job. Throughout history, most national leaders ache to be powerful, influential, famous, rich. Moses preferred to live a simple life with his family. Because why? Because he had a renewed mind. A mind that knew what mattered most. A mind that recognizes you want to be first and be last. Mark Victor Hansen, a, a strong believer, shares how his mind was renewed. He, along with Jack Canfield, write the books, The Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which have broken records in sales all around the world. Before he became that author, he said he went bankrupt. He had been a millionaire, lost all his money. His marriage ended. Dreams shattered. And he was, you know, kind of floundering. What now? Picked up a a CD by Cavette Robert entitled, Are You the Cause or Are You the Result? And he wrote down something on that, on that audio program that he said changed his life. And that statement by Cavett Robert is this, either you are the creature of circumstances or the creator of circumstances. You cannot be both. And Mark Victor Hansen began to listen to that audio program over and over till it became second nature, until his thinking had changed, until he moved from that place of feeling like a victim to become that victor. Listen to this. Over the next several months, he shared he listened to that audio program 287 times. 
hours a day over and over and over. Why? Again, because he said my thinking needed to change. I was defeated. I needed to see a different perspective, have a different type of thinking. Once he did that, then he and Jack Canfield, again, eventually wrote this best-selling series. They did it to encourage people. People have read that Chicken Soup for the Soul series and shared, you know, that brought them out of suicide. It brought them out of depression, saved their marriage. That's what happens when a mind is renewed. You know, heart attacks, they increase one Monday a year by 24%. The risk goes up 24% one Monday a year. Think about that. Goes down 21% one Monday a year. What is heart attacks? Why do they go up a certain Monday? Well, which Monday do they go up? Again, increased risk 24%. They go up on daylight savings time. And why is that? Because people get stressed out. I'm losing an hour of sleep. It's going to take me days to get back in rhythm. Work's going to be so hard tomorrow. And then all this stress and anxiety builds up and they get out of focus. They get out of that rhythm, that balance. And incredibly on the Monday following daylight savings, heart attack risk up 24%. It goes down the following daylight savings when you get that hour back. Because why? People, they relax. I get an extra hour. Again, how important is that thinking? Day-to-day, moment-to-moment. The circumstances don't shatter our, our path. You know, Tony Robbins shares, you know, his mentor, Jim Rohn, you know, he had the success and Tony Robbins was not having that success. And he said to Jim Rohn, you know, I can't seem to get things together. And Jim Rohn said, did you read the book I told you to read? That book, Think and Grow Rich. And Tony Robbins says, yes, I read the book. And Jim Rohn said, I read it 10 times. Do you see the difference between you and me? And Jim Rohn read it over and over till that thinking became his thinking. A renewed mind. Psychologists tell us the three hardest words for an individual to say, I am wrong. Because that mind at enmity, actively opposed, hatred to the things of God, that ego, that pride. So difficult to say, I am wrong. But again, Lord, give me the wisdom to know there's one person I can change and the courage to know that it's me. May we begin to say, not who is the Lord. Day to day, who am I? To be able to say, I am wrong. A just course, you know? Hebrews chapter 3. Again, think about Moses. How great a leader was he? When Jesus is compared to somebody, he's compared to Moses. Now, Jesus, unlimited in his greatness far beyond Moses, all of us. But that shows you the respect Moses has in Scripture. Hebrews 3, Holy brothers, consider Jesus the apostle high priest of our confession, who was faithful as Moses was faithful. And Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was faithful as a servant Christ, 
was faithful as a son. So as we follow Moses' example, how much more to follow the example of Jesus whose life is lived in us. You know, Lynn Twist was mentored by Mother Teresa. She shares she was invited to Sierra Leone, Africa to help raise money for this community. And she had helped raise money for many charities, millions and millions of dollars. So these chiefs in Sierra Leone invited her there to help raise money for a well. They said they need a quarter million dollars. Could she help? She said she could, but she sensed a darkness there. She said, do you mind if I speak to the women? And the men laughed. Women don't know anything, but she went to one woman and said, how can I help? The woman said, I had a dream. And in my dream, God showed me the water. It's right there. She points to the ground. She goes to another woman. How can I help? The woman said, I had a dream. God showed me the water, the well. It's right there. Third woman, fourth woman, fifth woman, all the same dream. Lynn goes to the men, said, God is speaking. The men laughed. What do women know? And Lynn said, can we dig here? They said, the women can. The men are not going to dig there. As Lynn and the women began to dig, three days later, 20 feet down, they found an oasis, more water than they could ever use. Why? Because again, somebody believed and trusted in God, in his life. As Brian Tracy says, successful people are always looking for opportunities to help others. Unsuccessful people are always asking what's in it for me. May we begin to say when it's right to say it, I am wrong. Begin to say, God, who am I? And here's one more question I'll give you as we close here this morning. John O'Leary, as a young boy, he was playing with fire. He was by a gas can that blew up, consumed him. He was on fire. Whole body burned. His fingers were burned off. He's in the hospital. He asked his mom, am I going to die? He's nine years old. She said, listen, that's up to you. If you want to live, you got to fight. His hero was Jack Buck, Hall of Fame baseball player. He listened to him on the radio every night. Jack Buck heard his story, went to the hospital, saw him, and here's his child burned on 100% of his body, loses all his fingers. The, this man, Jack Buck, goes to the nurse. What can I do? The nurse says nothing. He's not going to live. But Jack says, Here's the question he asked, what more can I do? And from that, he began to visit John O'Leary day in and day out. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. He encouraged him, you get out in four months, we'll have a special day for you at the ball field. And John O'Leary got better because Jack Buck said, what more can I do? And was there for him. And then once John O'Leary's back on his feet, he wants to go to school. But he can't read or he can't write because he's got no fingers. Jack Buck again, what more can I do? He sends John O'Leary a baseball, says, you want another one? Handwrite a thank you note. John O'Leary scribbles on a piece of paper. Second ball, you want another signed ball? Write a thank you note. Over and over, 60 balls later, John O'Leary, he's able to write, Perfect cursive. John O'Leary today is a speaker who travels the world to encourage people all things are possible in Christ because that's a renewed mind because one person said, what more can I do?
to make a difference. Because God, who, who am I? In Jesus' name.